The Founding Fathers, American Revolution, Our Constitution, Our History, America. Thanks so much for tuning in as we discuss the people, places, events, and battles that turned 13 separate colonies into the greatest nation on earth, the United States. Welcome back, patriots. I'm your host, Ron Kern, and I'm super excited that you're tuning in today as it's a pretty big event that we're going to be talking about. I really appreciate you taking time to listen and learn and also hopefully experience the people, places, battles, and everything else in between that we discuss about the American Revolution. Episode 16 was the last chronological episode, which sets us up for today's show. The most recent episode was a bonus episode titled Amazing Women of the Revolution. And I must say the response was crazily unexpected. The response was so big that I've been asked to do more like it. So soon you will likely see uh, more bonus episodes, Amazing Women of the Revolution Volume 2. Perhaps there'll be a Volume 3 or 4. There's a lot of women to talk about that were pretty darn amazing during the American Revolution. But today we're going to be talking about the Tea Act and then an event as well known or maybe even more so than the Boston Massacre, that being the Boston Tea Party. But let's talk first about what the Tea Act was. Now, the Tea Act is going to bring us to the year of 1773, and it's a bit different than the countless other acts or taxes that the British government had imposed. Now, remember, prior to this, and we've covered all of this in previous episodes, there was the Stamp Act, the Townshend Act, the Sugar Act, the Quartering Act, and on and on. The Tea Act was different in the fact that its main purpose wasn't actually to tax or even increase the cost of tea to the colonists. England thought it would be well received as it would actually cost less for the colonies to buy the tea and it wasn't a tax. So again, England was wrong again in their assumption. Its sole purpose, however, was to help bail out the East India Company. The British government granted that company a monopoly on the importation and sale of tea in the colonies. Now, the colonists had always denied the right, constitutionally, of the duty on tea, and when England declared this Tea Act, it basically stoked the coals of a fire that had never burned out completely. Now, many colonists stopped drinking tea out of spite and principle, and many others resumed drinking it, but the tea that was consumed was actually smuggled Dutch tea, as it was cheaper. Those who boycotted and stopped buying and drinking tea caused a large financial loss to the East India Company. Those that did drink it bought the smuggled tea, which also hurt the income of the East India Company. Either way, that company was not making money from the colonies and England did not like that. Now, England was well aware of the smuggling going on and they thought, in error, that the Tea Act would actually put an end to the smuggling in addition to helping the East India Company. 
Now this company was more of a conduit for England to the riches of the East Indies for England. So if it suffered, so did England. Now the East India Company had a very large surplus of tea, likely because the colonies weren't buying it from them and the consumption had dropped drastically. England felt they had to do something to save it from going under. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply introduced the Tea Act. Now, this act meant tea would be shipped directly to the colonies without first landing in England and then sent to the colonies and sold at a bargain price, as long as that tea was purchased from a British agent. That was pretty much the gist of the Tea Act. Cheap tea hurt the businesses of local merchants, and even though the price of tea from the East India Company was almost as low as the cost of the smuggled Dutch tea, colonists weren't about to help out England, nor help out the company it was trying to revive. Now, tea back in the 18th century is kind of like coffee today. It was very common and the normal drink to have. Today, Americans enjoy tea, both iced and hot. According to a study done last year, 159 million Americans drink tea every single day. Now, if you're like me and your morning beverage of choice is coffee, your cup this morning, and mine, was part of the 400 million cups that Americans drink every single day. Now, I give you these stats to demonstrate just how important tea was back then. So for people to boycott it or refuse to buy it, it in fact made a large impact and it was a big deal. And as I said before, the East India Company had a huge surplus of it, but it wasn't as though they could just, you know, freeze dry it or um, keep it on a shelf and sell it later. Much of this tea that they had was in storage and still in leaf form. So it was gonna start to rot and spoil, making it useless. So. Getting it sold quickly was a necessity for both inventory and making money or income purposes. So, as you can imagine, the Tea Act was another bad idea from England. It was not received well, and it all came to a head on December 16, 1773. Ironically, today is December 16th, so this event happened on today's date, 249 years ago. Now, the Boston Tea Party was not a, a big party and gathering and then it just went awry and they decided to throw tea off. This was a political protest that was a direct response to the Tea Act. So on the morning of the Tea Party, there was a meeting held at the Old South Meeting House while thousands of people were on the wharf and on the streets protesting the ships arriving. Now, if you have visited Boston and been inside the Old South Meeting House, it's pretty cool. It's really big. 
wide open inside. When we were there a few years ago, it was it was a pretty special time. So if you are in Boston, go check that out. So what happened at the Old South Meeting House? Well, they voted and decided right then and there they were not going to allow the tea to be unloaded, sold, stored, or used in any capacity. And they were very adamant that no taxes were ever going to be paid on it either. Period. Good old Governor Hutchinson steps in, right? And said that he's not going to allow the ships to head back to England full of the cargo that was supposed to be emptied, tariffs and taxes paid on it, and then disseminated throughout Boston and the surrounding colonies. Of course, you already know, it did not go the way Hutchinson demanded. Not even close. A group of colonists from the meeting organized, boarded three British ships in Boston Harbor, and threw their cargo of tea overboard. Now here's a little tidbit that you may not have heard about, the names of the ships. They were Eleanor, Dartmouth, and Beaver. And although they were all filled with tea coming from China, the ships were all built in the colonies and they were actually owned by colonists. Now it wasn't a box or two that they threw over. In fact, it was 342 chests of tea that weighed 90,000 pounds, and in today's dollars, that would be worth $1.7 million. I'm not a math guy, I'm, I just don't do math at all, but I do like charts and stats. So the tea that they dumped overboard would have made roughly 19 million cups of brewed tea. The estimated 115 to 120 participants that boarded the ships were dressed up as Mohawk Indians so they could avoid being identified and and it took over three hours for them to dump all of that tea overboard. When people think about the tea party, maybe a quick image pops up about some people throwing some tea overboard and that was that. I mean, it was, but the ramifications and scale of how big of a statement this was at the time, well, I think it's far underestimated. Footnote. Researching countless sources, some reports say it was 60 people that were actually on the ship that dumped the tea. Another report says 112, while others say it was 74. Now I listed it as 115 to 120 to capture the average derived from the most accurate findings that I could find. I don't think we'll ever likely have a complete and accurate list of everyone who took part in it, whether they were on the ships throwing the tea overboard or on the docks supporting that action, as many refused to come forward in fear of punishment. If you like my podcast and what I'm doing, and you want to support it, I have a few ways that you can do that. Word of mouth is certainly the best way to advertise, so please tell your friends and family about this podcast. It's kid-friendly, too, so you can share it with teachers and schools if you want to. Podcasts that have a lot of reviews are just found easier. So if you have a few seconds, and literally, that's all it takes, go to the bottom of my podcast, click the number of stars that you feel it is warranted, and that's it. You can write something if you want, but that's not necessary. It literally takes you just a few seconds. 
Lastly, we have some pretty cool patriotic gear on our newly launched online store. We have mugs, t-shirts with famous and important revolutionary quotes. Thanks for your consideration. And now, let's get back to the podcast. In the show notes, I have a list of names of every person that has been identified as taking part in it. This list was compiled by oral tradition, family Bibles and diaries, and there is some actual documentation of it. End footnote. The Sons of Liberty had a hand in this event. Whether it was the planning, participation, or likely both, they were a strong force behind deciding to do it. What is interesting is that nothing else on any of the three ships were damaged, destroyed, or even looted. During that event, they did break a padlock on one door that they needed to gain access to the T, but that padlock, believe it or not, was replaced the following morning. And after all of the T was overboard, the decks were swept and everything was put back into place. They were very specific to only ruin the tea and nothing else. And this, for the most part, falls in line with how the Sons of Liberty operated. Although I do have a list, like I said before, of everybody that has been identified, I think there's countless others that we probably will never know about because they were scared of, you know, the ramifications of coming out and saying I was part of it. Now, This was not a thought that George Hughes had. In fact, he came out afterwards quite proudly and said, We then were ordered by our commander to open the hatches and take out all of the chests of tea and throw them overboard, and we immediately proceeded to execute his orders, first cutting and splitting the chests with our tomahawks so as to thoroughly expose them to the effects of the water. He also said, which I find quite interesting, quote, We were surrounded by British armed ships, but no attempt was made to resist us. Why do you think they didn't fire upon the ship or try to stop them? I really don't have the answer, pretty much just my guesses or assumptions, and I think maybe perhaps England didn't warrant that event bad enough to bring in or have military action. Or perhaps the colonists were already so upset with England at the time that England let it take place to avoid further escalation. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Could you go to Boston today and stand on a dock and look down upon the location of where the tea was dumped? As cool as that would be, the answer is likely no. Boston has completed massive landfill projects over the centuries, And where the wharf was located is now likely land. So, in theory, I guess you could walk where the tea was dumped. Although, the exact location is not known, nor is there any sign saying this is the place where the tea was dumped. So, that piece of information has kind of been lost to history. But we do know it was near uh, and on that wharf, and they know the general location. So... Uh, If you take a tour or you're in Boston and you go down to the harbor, you'll have a general idea of where it actually took place. The British government was furious about the Boston Tea Party. And, well, guess what? They responded by passing a series of harsh measures known as the Coercive Acts, which included closing the port of Boston 
and they placed the entire city under martial law. Now these coercive acts only served to further inflame and outrage the colonists and unite them in their opposition to being under British rule. Now you may have heard the coercive acts being called or referred to as the intolerable acts, as that is what the colonists called them, as to them they were intolerable and they weren't going to stand by or adhere to them. My next episode is going to discuss these coercive or intolerable acts and the response that it caused. And as you have listened and learned from my podcast, there were many acts, or more accurately taxes, that England invoked on the colonies. There were lots, and they never seemed to stop issuing them. They never got the clue that these weren't the way to go about getting on the good side of the colonists. The intolerable acts, or more precisely, the response to them, I feel is the pinnacle and deciding factor to wage war and a way to say stop once and for all. The only way to truly get them to stop at this point was to go to war. The next episode is going to be very informative and will provide deep insight on why I think it was such a big deal. So make sure you subscribe and tune in for that one. The legacy of the Boston Tea Party lives on today as a symbol of American resistance to oppression and a reminder of the power of grassroots activism. It's remembered as one of the most defining moments in the American history and a key event in the lead up to the American Revolution. I've put together a list of lesser known facts about the Boston Tea Party. So the first one is, the Boston Tea Party was not actually a party. It was a political protest in which a group of colonists boarded ships in Boston and threw their cargo of tea overboard. The protesters were not Native Americans. They dressed up as Native Americans to avoid being identified by the British authorities. Now with that, they didn't really do a very good job. They would get some coal, wipe it on their face, they did put feathers around them, but it really wasn't like a top-notch disguise. It was more of a way to let the other colonists and people around uh, know that if you see me and recognize me, you better not say a word. The Boston Tea Party was not the only such protest. In fact, similar protests occurred in other American colonies, including the New York Tea Party and the Annapolis Tea Party. The Boston Tea Party was not the only act of defiance against the British government. The colonists also organized boycotts of British goods, tarred and feathered British officials, and burned down the governor's house in protests. The British government responded to the Boston Tea Party by passing a series of harsh measures known as the Coercive or Intolerable Acts, which included closing the port of Boston and placing the city under martial law. That is, like I said before, going to be the focus of my next episode. The Boston Tea Party was not the only time that tea was dumped into a body of water. In 1859, a group of women in Boston threw a shipment of tea into the harbor to protest the high tax on tea. This event became known as the Daughters of Liberty Tea Party. 
The Tea Act, which, as you now know, was a catalyst for the Boston Tea Party, was repealed by the British Parliament in 1778. This was five years after the Boston Tea Party, even though they couldn't really ever enforce it, and nor did they. They let it be, quote, on the books for another five years. The exact location of the Boston Tea Party is not known, which I mentioned earlier. It is believed to have taken place on Griffin's Wharf, but the exact spot is not marked or memorialized. The Boston Tea Party is still celebrated today. Every year on December 16th, the anniversary of the protest, they have a big reenactment of the entire event and it's held in Boston. So today in Boston, this reenactment is or will be soon taking place. The Tea Act suggests that colonists were maybe upset because this meant a higher price for tea. And as you now know, it was actually quite the opposite. It lowered the price of tea. Another surprising tidbit is that 22% of the tea that the Patriots sent to the bottom of Boston Harbor was green tea. According to the Boston Tea Party Ships and Museum, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, they were all fans of a particular Chinese green tea variety called Hyson. The tea that was dumped was not even British tea. It actually came from China. At the time of the event, they did not call it the Boston Tea Party. The first time it was ever listed as that in print form was in 1825. So when I saw that, I went, well, if they didn't really call it the Boston Tea Party, what did they call it? So I did some digging and uh, as I found in many publications of the time, it was simply called or referred to as the destruction of tea in Boston Harbor. You have heard companies like Apple, Google, Tesla, and others being called this, but the first company to be labeled as too big to fail was in fact the East India Company. Now this one is pretty darn cool. Another member of the raiding party that night was Thomas Melville. Melville was the grandfather of Moby Dick author Herman Melville. So this took place in December, but the following March, another tea party of sorts took place in Boston. This time, climbing aboard the ship Fortune, approximately 60 colonists threw 30 crates of tea into the harbor. Now, I think this is a good example of being second rarely gets the same amount of press as being the first. And lastly, leaders at the time, such as George Washington and Benjamin Franklin, weren't real happy with the actions that night. In fact, they were disgusted with what took place uh, on those ships. Washington said that the people in Boston, quote, were mad while Franklin offered to pay for the destroyed tea personally. Now, Franklin was rich, but I'm unsure if he had almost $2 million to spare. So if that was a genuine fact, or if he offered paying for it, knowing that England wouldn't accept it, even if he couldn't afford it, maybe that's why he did it. I'm not sure. Both Washington and Franklin wrote letters of apologies for the actions of that night. 
Thanks for listening and hope that you tune in next time with us here at the Patriot Power Podcast. Make sure that you hit subscribe so you'll get notified when our new episodes are available for you. And we hope that you check out our websites, which include our show notes, links, documents, and more at PatriotPowerPodcast.com or ILoveGeorgeWashington.com. Until next time, hope that you and your family have a blessed week. And remember, be safe and tell a veteran thanks for their service.